Hey everyone, me Kevin here, back with another episode of the Me Kevin Show. Today, we are going to interview the CEO of a new Bitcoin mining ETF, a new fund provider of Ready Funds. And I'm super excited to have Wes here with me. They're about to pass $20 million in assets under management. Their fund, uh, ticker symbol Riggs, uh, has returned, uh, what, 99% in the last six months as, uh, as y'all are investing in Bitcoin miners. And I'm super excited to understand uh, the mission and the prospects for the future. So welcome aboard, Wes. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Kevin. Nice to meet you. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me, uh, Bitcoin mining, what what got y'all into the idea of we're going to launch a fund, we're going to start with Bitcoin mining. You've obviously got to be bullish on Bitcoin to have your <laughs> first fund product be a Bitcoin mining ETF. Yeah, I, I think we're somewhat unique to the founding team and, and, and the operations team here is that you know, our background is in sort of traditional financial markets, investment banking, asset management, uh, you know, working for some reputable firms over the past, well, me in particular, 17 years. And and uh, earlier this year, uh, and, and after that, after a sort of deep, uh, a stint in capital markets, I was uh, CEO of uh, a public listed cryptocurrency miner for a couple of years, so hands on operational and build experience, learning what sort of drives these operations in terms of like profitability and cash flow and all the struggles they go through, go through scaling operations. So married the two skill sets and and uh, decided to try and marry a thematic asset class with sort of traditional financial markets through the launch of rigs on July 20th this year. Congratulations. So July 20th, R-I-G-Z is the ticker symbol. Uh, and so you just launched. It's it's obviously been an incredible six months for you because, uh, I mean, look, or, or even less than six months, it's been like four and a half months because uh, Bitcoin was essentially cratering in the summer. Uh, we had fears of inflation were going away. At the same time, we had all the China drama going on. And, and now all of a sudden, uh, Bitcoin's roaring again. So, I mean, what a perfect time to launch a fund, first of all. So congratulations. But I want to know from, from y'all, what were you thinking in the summer? Because there was a lot of fear going around about Bitcoin, the future of Bitcoin. There was a lot of supply chain fears. Tell me about those. I mean, you know, those affect miners, obviously. Yeah, certainly the glut and semiconductor supplier, the constraints at the foundry level have impacted uh, the ability to sort of source hardware as the mining community competes against other sort of big industry, auto, cell phones, whatever. Um, but, you know, we started this process to li list rigs and get the approval and blessing of the SEC in April was our filing, prospectus filing. Typically, it takes about 90 days. Ours took a little bit longer than that, given the fact that we were a crypto product. But, you know, we are a actively managed fund investing in crypto equities, crypto cryptocurrency mining equities with a clean spin to them, i.e. focused on operations underpinned by renewable sources of energy and uh, also holding the semiconductor companies as well, going down the value chain, trying to hit the whole sort of supply chain stack. Um, but, but it's an infrastructure play within this ecosystem. The miners are providing that essential service to the network, which is the validation and verification of trades. And, and despite the ebbs and flows in in cryptocurrency prices, the underlying sort of asset class that these individual these corporations are exposed to, it's uh, you know there's a real industrial operating business here. You know they generate real cash flow if they buy right and they build uh, efficient operations, leveraging industrial scale, economic cost power. There's a great business here. So despite the despite the sell off on the back of a few tweets from Elon, 
you know, uh, we we weren't all that sort of deterred in in the initiative to get this listed in trading, and it's the first sort of thematic product of its kind. And, and as you mentioned, like yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride since we launched. It's only been about 12, 13 weeks now. I wish it had yeah. been six months because you know maybe we'd be at 50, 60, 70 million in AUM right now. But um, you know, it's it's a great product with an active strategy and and leveraging that background, we are sort of you know using our capital markets expertise and sort of boots on the ground understanding the what makes these operations tick what makes them profitable to identify the the mispricings in the marketplace that we think are pretty prevalent prevalent now how, how do you do that because i'm just looking at your fund holdings here uh and let me make sure i actually have the screen showing properly oh, one second oh yep no nope. let's do this there we go so how do you do that how do you go through and value these companies? I mean, you've got Marathon Digital here. You've got Hut. You've got Bitfarms. I mean, these have just skyrocketed. Uh, then, of course, you've got NVIDIA here at a 4.4% allocation. Phenomenal company. It's just been crushing it. You've got AMD here, uh, Taiwan Semiconductors. I mean, you've got you've got 18 holdings here. And uh, the biggest ones are obviously the miners, which makes sense. But you're also getting the chip plays in here. But, I mean, 13 14% Marathon Hut. How do you value them? Are you looking at underlying Bitcoin assets and then trying to, to you know, determine a, a return on equity that these companies are producing or, or what are you looking for? Yeah, it's a it's been an interesting sector. Um, and even even with the bull run in BTC this year, you're starting to see sort of some of the like analyst community come out with some some metrics that don't make a whole lot of sense. Right. That whole like EV to installed megawatt or like, you know, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many megawatts you're running it. it you know, the, the, the primary sort of impact of profitability for these mining operations are the efficiency of the hardware you're running. If it's a new generation, how much terahash you're generating per unit of energy consumption, in mm-hmm. addition to the power, price of the power you're paying with being your single biggest operating expense. So we've tried to sort of impart real fundamental sort of valuation metrics and how we look at allocating to stocks in terms of, you know, Revenue multiples, EBITDA multiples, earnings multiples, knowing what we know about crypto, cryptocurrency mining operations, and and that drives our allocations within the portfolio. Certain names, like you mentioned, Marathon, Hydate, et cetera, have grown to be bigger pieces as of late or bigger yeah. allocations as of late, largely due to just the, the stellar nature of their performance. Um, you know, we, we did, uh, from inception, from day one of trading, we, uh, we you know, taught Bitfarms, Huddy, Marathon were our three top picks, and and they actually happen to be the best performing stocks in Q3 2021 as well as year to date 2021. So we've been pretty good so far, and and uh, I think that sort of like our, our methodology to allocations is is very applicable to, to identifying these best pricings. Now, what do you think competition wise? I mean, is it possible that if this is such a profitable business for these companies, uh, that uh, that we're, we're going to see a whole lot of competition come in? I mean, I think HUD eight. Uh, their their valuation is somewhere around seven or eight times how much Bitcoin they actually hold because I've spoken with their CEO before and I know they love hodling their the the Bitcoin they mine kind of like the microsailer approach but you look at microsailer uh, Michael Saylor at MicroStrategy and, and and they don't actually get any kind of boost to their company valuation beyond the Bitcoin they actually hold they're only valued at the Bitcoin they hold which I don't think you have MicroStrategy in here I'll, I'll ask you but no. uh, for Oh, so you don't. Okay. So for <laughs> HUD eight, you're you're really paying for the technology of the mining, which opens up the door to potentially competition and maybe adding other companies in the future. Can you tell me about that? Why no micro strategy and and how, and why these companies? 
It's the Veridi Cleaner Energy Crypto Mining and Semiconductor ETF. And, and with you know, sort of regulatory oversight that you've got to sort of adhere to being the SEC, managing a product, managing a thematic ETF, <clears throat> there are naming conventions that you have to have to sort of like guide your investment mm. principles. So we target about 80% of the fund's asset being invested in direct cryptocurrency miners that, that meet our definition of a miner, which is based on sort of the revenue they earn in, in terms of like percentage versus overall, in addition to about a 20% allocation to the semiconductor companies. But, uh, you know, what, why we're investing in companies like Huddy Mara, it's, yes, it's, it's partly because, and this is a new, new evolution, certainly 2021, the digital asset inventories that are growing on their balance sheets. Huddy, Huddy from inception always took the practice of inventorying all their BTC. They sold some a little bit along the way, but, um, you know, and have been able to utilize that inventory to open up new forms of financing, using it as collateral for debt yeah. facilities. But, um, you know, in 2021, everybody's been hodling. That wasn't the case in 2019, 2020, 2018, people were selling BTC production to invest in hardware, to expand, uh, their operations and try and maintain their market share or increase their market share as a function of overall hash rates. But, you know, we're owning groups like HUD8 for the balance sheet exposure, of course, the digital asset inventory, but but mainly because of the sort of in place and uh, on the come, like future cash flows anticipated from mining BTC or, or other leading altcoins. Do you have any concerns about uh, uh, you know when the supply chain constraints go away that that maybe that does unleash a lot new a lot of new competition any any kind of inflection point there with the supply chain constraints or do you think this will just be great news for the miners that you have in your fund? It's been a phenomenal time to be a North American miner at scale running yeah. BTC operations right or, or cryptocurrency mining operations just because of you know obviously the crackdown in china that was announced in june and outright ban of cryptocurrency trading in september that was announced in china like this you know if you had scale there was a dramatic drop in network hash rates so if you were running one percent of the network overnight with a matter of you know days you were running you know 1.5 1.6 percent of network hash rates you you saw an immediate increase to your production all and and an immediate impact to your revenue, all things else, you know, being equal in terms of crypto pricing and transaction fees, et cetera. So it's been a great time to be a North American miner in terms of semiconductor supply constraints. Yes, it's obviously a concern. It's a good thing for groups like NVIDIA uh, to be able to sort of like carte blanche increase in pricing in, in an opportunist market marketplace. But, um, the cryptocurrency miners themselves, like most of the manufacturers are out there locking in wafer production slots, you know, one, two years ahead of what their mm. current sort of production rate is. So for the for the immediate term, not a not a major concern, especially when you look at all the announcements by the semis in terms of like capacity expansions and major investments in new wafer production. So uh right. but it, but one thing it does do trying to predict where network hash rates are going which is certainly a major impact on profitability of these hardwares of these mining operations if you've got one percent of the network now and you don't grow you can naturally assume that a year from now you're going to have less than one percent because people will continue to plug in hardware the cuts the supply constraints the inability to increase sort of uh manufacturing slots or procurement of chips by the manufacturers um 
creates a little bit more predictability around hash rate growth, new computer shipments, how th how things are going to grow in the near term and medium term. So, so we factor that all all into our models and 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 and, and really do our analysis and allocations on a 12 month forward basis, looking at announced hardware orders and where companies are going versus mm. where they're at today. Because to be frank, a year ago, most of these companies were running fractions of what they're running now and, yeah. and what they're running now, 12 months from now are gonna look like fractions of where they're at. So, uh, you know, a lot of it's on the come and, and we do, do take a very forward looking approach to, uh, to our allocations. Now you've you've got obviously I mean a huge exposure here to crypto mining. You know semiconductors are going to be here but crypto mining is there a risk that bitcoin goes away? Bitcoin goes to zero or what's more likely bitcoin going to zero or bitcoin going to a million? I I would sit in the in the latter camp for sure. I mean is it going to be a million by the end of December? No, is it going to be a million by next summer? Probably not. Um, I would say highly highly likely not. Um you know, I, I'm sort of in the, the plan B camp, the, uh, you know, stock to flow model. We're sitting somewhere around 110 next year. Does it go away? No, I think it's too distributed. There's there's too much momentum in the sector. The institutional flows that we're seeing, the adoption by major global FIs with new products, creating access to to uh, for their clients to crypto products. We saw the, the ETF futures products start trading a couple of weeks ago, approved by the SEC. Like this is... This is here to stay. Uh, it's it's really it's not not a question of whether it's coming. It's a question of how big it gets. If BTC goes to, you know, does approach uh, a market where we're in a significant sell off, um, you know, our bet is on the miners that are at the lowest end of the cost curve because they're the ones that are unplugging far 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 longer, if at all, when other higher cost miners are are you know can't run profitably, can't generate positive margins in our own So, So you think the smaller miners are going to be able to be more versatile in, in times of stress in Bitcoin, is what you're saying? Not necessarily smaller miners. It comes down to like cost of creation of one of those those units of computing power, a terahash. So if, if you're running the best efficiency hardware at very, very low power costs with efficient operations and the ability to manage your fleets and and guarantee like good uptime in your hardware, you're going to stand the test of time and be operating a lot longer than the sort of average retail miner that may be mm. hosting their equipment at a third party, party facility sure. at significantly higher rates or running old gen equipment, whatever whatever have you. So our, our our bets on the you know the operators that are sitting at the lower end of the cost curve. Got it. So what about uh, you know all the mining equipment that these miners uh, purchase? Isn't it? I mean, there's going to be a massive depreciation curve for these. I mean, how long are these miners actually going to remain competitive before they have to replace their entire inventories? And it just seems like the cost of constantly cycling that inventory is is potentially just going to exponentially increase in, in time here. Is that not a risk factor for the miners? Yes, it always has been. And I, I, I lived and breathed that as the former CEO of BitFarms. Uh, you know, you're, you're always looking at, you know, being prudent fiduciaries of capital, of OPM, of other people's money as you're out there deploying, you know, money, CapEx into hardware and expansion facilities and making sure that you can generate reasonable returns and, and decent, like shorter peer payback periods to, so that you, you know, you're, you're not taking any sort of undue financial risk. Um, am I concerned about the sort of shelf life of new generation mining equipment, not as much so as I was with some of the older stuff 
three years ago. Like, but but, okay. but the shocking thing is, even an S nine, which is like released in the spring of 2016, over five five years ago, five and a half years ago now, can still run quite profitably. You know, you're you're talking about wow, 85, 80, yeah, 85, 90 joule. And so so like, I, I don't want to get into technicalities, but using about 2.4 kilowatts or less, 2.2 to 2.4 kilowatts of energy to generate a terahash. If you're paying five cents for that power, your cost to generate a terahash is around 10 cents. And today you're getting paid 38, 39 cents in revenue per terahash. So you've got 75% operating margins on an S9. Much and, and the vast majority, certainly in the public markets, most people wrote off and depreciated their S9s years ago. So it's all upside. There's no balance sheet amortization or depreciation charge. It's all straight to the bottom line, all their mining margins, revenue, less power spend. So uh, shocking to see that we're we're here five and a half years later after the, yeah. the generational lease of this hardware. But the new equipment will, I think, have a much longer shelf life in the hands of good operators that, that have good consistent operating environments and can sort of manage their uptime at the end of the day and take care of their equipment because you know we're not going to see major major efficiency advancements from one gen for within the next generation of hardware just given given chip chip restrictions electronic uh, computing restrictions wow that's incredible i mean that's a perfect example 2016 chip uh just to reiterate this you said you're looking at about 38 cents in revenue per terahash uh, this is going to likely cost you about five cents in energy and five cents in opex, leaving you with about that seventy-five percent margin, huh? Cost you about ten cents in energy. Ah, okay, okay. Two point four, two point two to two point four kilowatts of power to generate one terahash in a twenty-four hour period. If you're paying five cents at an industrial scale for your power, two point four times five, so ah, maybe oh, it's 12, okay. 12, 12 and a half cents. So your margin's almost seventy-five. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Got it. So the, your gross margin. You're testing my math after a long day. So uh, no, no. It's a, look. Right. If 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 <laughs> I don't get it, then then somebody watching is not going to get it. <laughs> exactly. Know? So yeah. this is interesting. So you really, uh, I mean, that's that's still a wonderful margin, but it's also uh, your your goal is getting that energy for five cents uh, out here in California, for example. Peak hours, I'm paying forty cents uh, a kilowatt hour. So so I would be losing uh 42 plus cents uh, uh per per terawatt or uh, per terahash essentially trying to mine out here during peak hours in california and this is this why everybody's in canada <laughs> uh yeah i i scale the cryptocurrency mining operation at four about four cents us per kilowatt hour in the wow. province of in the province of quebec you know with with 70 megawatts of uh infrastructure by the time i left and another hundred, almost hundred under contract. So yeah, there, there are jurisdictions globally that people are chasing that have that five, four, three and a half cent power. A lot of, a lot of like uh, miners chasing stranded energy where you can get like your, your power costs running gen sets off uh, sort of uh, nat flare, nat gas for like a penny, a penny and a half cents a kilowatt hour. So there's, there's, there's much better opportunities. I said in Toronto, my peak, Peak power rates are about 21 cents. So same situation. I can't run S9s in my office here, but you know, wow. I can run a long extension cord to my neighbor and maybe run a few few machines for free. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible. So geez, I uh, I noticed here as well that, uh, so you, you, you said you were uh, an executive or you said you were the CEO of BitFarms. Did I get that right? Yep. And so they are your third most popular allocation in this fund. 
you seem to like Marathon and Hut more than the place you used to work. What's up with that? Is that just the market? We started out with uh, pretty much equal allocations to, okay. to all three, but Marathon and Hut 8 have been pretty pretty strong performers, obviously. Um, you know, in the public markets in, in general, certainly, you know, earlier this year and, and still to this day, there's been a pretty big disconnect between some of the Canadian based and dual listed uh, valuations or Canadian listed valuations relative to the U.S. stocks. I mean, there's still some 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 cowboy-esque valuations in the U.S. markets driven by the number of like Reddit or stock twits followers that don't make a whole lot of fundamental sense. But we are a a pretty strong believer in you know the the rubber will hit the road in the terms of like financial disclosure as a, as a public company you've got reporting obligations and the numbers will will ultimately sort help help sort out the sort of valuation and mispricings in uh our differences in the public markets so what and 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 we're hedged accordingly or or taking our active bets that certain names are going to outperform others so you're a big fan of the stock to flow model. Do you think that on this note of uh, regulation, that regulation, whether it has to do with regulation of crypto, uh, sorry, stable coins, potentially having to get uh, banking licenses, is there a potential risk factor that a lot of liquidity ends up getting frozen or eliminated from uh, the crypto market thanks to regulation, whether that's of stable coins or of the industry as a whole, that, that could lead to uh, a, a substantial decline in, in crypto asset prices? It's certainly a risk, a systemic risk, right? Uh, you know, there's there's obviously been a lot of uh, fairly negative press around the issue. Um, I do think that there's enough positives potentially on the near term horizon that could outweigh some of the potential risks to the downside. One being the the approval of a of a spot ETF in the U.S. You know that that would certainly generate a ton of buying activity. You've seen the the volumes in the pro shares and the Valkyrie product, um, yes. but but. You know, again, the wonderful thing about this mining business, which is so incredibly eloquent, given that this protocol is 12 years old, is you've got this thing called difficulty coded into the protocol. So, um, you know, you're it's sort of think of it like a governor on a golf cart. You're, you're targeting uh, 2000 blo 16 blocks being created every 14 days. If it takes 15 days. The network self-adjusted ratchets down the difficulty to speed up the block creation time. If it takes 13 days, it ratchets up the difficulty because they're being solved too quickly. Supply is increasing too quickly. So they ratchet up the difficulty, making it more difficult to find a blocks, decreasing the, the sort of efficiency of your computing power, the productivity of your computing power. So even if the market sells off, the miners as a sort of low cost lowest quartile producer running that efficient hardware at low cost industrial scale power will adopt will become a bigger component of the network as some of the higher priced miners get 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 sort of forced to unplug um mm -hmm. so it's it's all about you know it's that it's a it's a wonderful dust you know industrial business where you've got this real valuable high margin EBITDA sort of uh, scaled economic model underpinned by digital asset inventories in the balance sheet with all this leveraged torque to the underlying commodity. And, and that's why the sort of miners have been flying this year is anything, anything with a, a proxy or, or leverage to the, the digital asset has, has had one heck of a bid in the public markets. And uh, it's been, a, it's been a good year.
Yeah, no kidding. I mean, just the uh, BITO ProShares Bitcoin Futures ETF, the Futures ETF, not even a spot ETF, now has assets under management of almost $1.3 billion. <laughs> and the thing's been out for like two weeks. That's insane. Uh, they, they, I think there's a, a, a substantial, um, I'd, I'd like to say, uh, luck there of being first to market with that Futures ETF. It'll be interesting to see who gets the actual ETF uh, rather than a futures ETF, uh, which I agree with you, I think is going to be a huge catalyst. Looking at the at crypto long term and Bitcoin long term, uh, is it possible that in, in your opinion that a lot of the blockchain technology becomes sort of monopolized and, and we finally find a blockchain that is, uh, is, is the best for transactions, right? Because right now we've got hundreds of these different uh, chains and, and different ideas and iterations of chains. Is it possible that this all collapses into just one really good blockchain and that almost becomes like a utility that, that we just use every part of finance? It's, oh yeah, everything's blockchain now. Um, I think both will live and breathe harmoniously. Because I mean, what Bitcoin represents, it's it's a medium of exchange at the end of the day, that that banking to the unbankable, a, a, a utility, you know, where you're, you know, you've got going back to like the dawn of civilization, the days of barter, barter needing, needing something to sit in between goods and services of unequal value that don't stand the test of time. I, I, I won't go there, but like, you know, it's. You know, where you're where you're sitting in Argentina, Buenos Aires, dealing with like 40% inflation year over year, holding the peso, it comes down to like, what do you hold your wealth in, your hard-earned savings, and how yeah. do you transact internationally, and how do you exchange money internationally? Um, it's it's just a better system where you're not yeah. tied to the printing press or policies of one, one individual government. Do Is, is there a, a need, and do I think there could be sort of a, a consolidation or mass adoption of one particular blockchain technology or protocol absolutely i mean there's there's utility there the exchange of digital assets and in, in a trusted sort of consensus where you don't need intermediaries 100 but btc look you know you've got you've got one hell of a bid in in a lot of the altcoins people are making a lot of money trading some of these other alternatives but um you know i've seen it in good and bad markets when there's a sell-off Generally speaking, BTC is uh, you know the the strongest performer as the leader of the mm. pack in the network adoption and use cases and, and and users globally. I think it's just it's here to stay. I think it's going to be a permanent place in this evolving sector, and uh, you know it, it will be certainly interesting to see how things evolve going forward. But but uh, you know I, I'm comfortable owning Bitcoin for the long term. And I'm a I'm a self-proclaimed maximalist at the end of the day, for sure. I mean, nice, nice, yeah. yeah. I mean, so really, I mean, uh, the the idea there is that uh, as a store of value, Bit Bitcoin probably is is going to be irreplaceable, is what you're saying. And and you expect it to follow the stock to flow model, where we should be around 110,000 at some point potentially in 2022. Now the uh, the other the alts and all of this. Would, would you personally invest in any of them? Would you invest in Ethereum or Solana or, or Cardano? You know, would, would you invest in any of these? Or, or as a maximalist, are you like, no, you know what? I'm just going to stick with Bitcoin because if the others go away, at least I know Bitcoin's still going to be here. I mean, in the with the rigs product and, and the allocations, the holdings within the portfolio, um, there are very few miners, publicly traded miners. There's, there's basically three that have anything but BTC ASIC mining. Right. So in, in terms of like my, my day-to-day -day job, like 
what I need to understand and be smart on and be comfortable owning. It's it's pretty easy. You know, you've got a, you've got three groups out there mining some ether and a few altcoins. You know, during certain hours of the day, but but generally converting it back to BTC immediately. Um, but you know, me personally, one hundred percent. Like I, I'm constantly looking at other protocols, and I do think there's a lot of really valuable work out there, and that that will find its place in the world and become significantly bigger and bigger. Um, you know, everything's different. Like this move to proof of stake protocols, like Cardano, very very like attractive components embedded in that initiative. You know, the 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 research funding, proof of stake, smart contract abilities. You know, defined uh, fixed cap on supply. There's there's you know there's there's a need and a use and uh, sort of attractive uh, utilities of that token. I don't want to key in on one or another, but for sure, I like personally very different answer than what we're doing at, at Verity through rigs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you diversify to, to stocks or real estate at all, or, or are you mostly all crypto personally? Uh, I've been in the financial markets for a long time. So yeah, I'm, I'm very long real estate, real estate. Cause I, I, I I'm going to mind my French here, but you know, because I'm very scared of the stagflation and hyperinflation on the horizon and, and uh, just want, generally speaking, want to get my wealth and savings into things that will protect purchasing power long-term. Like if you, wow. can't, you, can't, you can't increase the money supply the way we've seen uh, and, and expect uh, you know, a gallon of gas or, or a summer home to cost the same amount of money. So it's ultimately just about like, you know, you work, work hard for the dollars you put in your savings account. It's, you know, we want to make them capable of purchasing the same amount of goods in the future and uh yeah. so so i i have a diversified portfolio full disclosure i use somebody else to manage it <laughs> i gotcha. like crypto is anybody playing in crypto has some sort of uh heightened element of of um non-risk aversion or just like ability to to tolerate volatility and risk and yep. uh you know managing my own pa in the early days i invested in a lot of like junior mining stocks some some were were 10 baggers and others were zeros and so yeah. you know given given the time constraints in my day I, I rely on somebody else to manage my personal accounts to that that diversified strategy but uh, there, there, nice. there are certain things I still know how to do better than others ah that's awesome okay yeah. so uh, I, I we're almost at the end of our time I, I want to ask you though uh, you you just alluded to this well I mean you bluntly said you're fearful of, of this potential hyperinflation stagflation uh, what do you what do you say when you hear people like Jerome Powell saying oh don't worry it's gonna be transitory eventually uh, you know what 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 do you think is this is this um like what happens in in your world if if all of a sudden they're right? What if inflation does go down? Is it all a big lie or, or what's going on there? What, what do you think? It's, I mean, look, the, uh, I don't, I don't want to go too deep here. We could, we could, we could do an, another hour on this, but like when yeah. you look at the sort of real measures of like CPI inflation, the cost of the consumer, I mean, I just, I just, I sit in Toronto and I just put gas in my tank to drive up to our, our, our summer place for the weekend. And it was like, a dollar seventy-five a liter. You guys price in, in gallons, but that—that's a lot of money. That's, I mean, oil where it is being almost half of where it was trading in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, at one hundred and forty-seven dollars a barrel high. Yet the prices of the pump are forty percent higher than we saw back then. It's, yeah, that's like it, six dollars, six six dollars and forty cents for reference. 
for uh, although, but then again, that's regular. Canadian dollars, right? Canadian, Canadian dollars. Yeah. Right? Okay. So maybe yeah. take another twenty percent off of that. Okay. Yeah. So that's still you're paying over five dollars U.S. a gallon. Okay. Yeah. So that that is real inflation, it, and I mean, you you look at you know the price of price of a, of an everyday like consumer staple, like there's there's real, you know, uh, pricing. I wouldn't say arbitrage, but like impacts being being passed on to the consumer. I mean, when you look at your portfolio outside of crypto markets, like at the end of the day, the real winners are going to be the large caps that are capable of passing that pricing on, increasing their pricing. And paying it, passing it on to the consumer to maintain their their margins, but like inflation is real. It's it's here. It's coming. You look at the interest rate environment with like negative real yields across the world by some of the you know the majority of the G20 economies. This is this is a real concern, not just for me. It's all over the media. Um, you know, I, I just look at you know printing yourself out of a pandemic and debt levels where they are and the options available. To the Fed and other Treasuries, it's it's going to be an interesting time. Some some volatile markets ahead, and uh, yeah, it's it's hard to predict. But but at the end of the day, you know, if if we are headed into this sort of uh, uh, macroeconomic environment, like the miners that we own, semiconductor companies, all of them are very well positioned to um, sort of increase profitability, driven by increasing prices in, in BTC and other digital assets as stores of value. And, and uh, I think in, in any portfolio, it deserves its place. And, but, but again, a prudent approach and diversified approach. Yeah. So then last question is sort of then the, the counter uh, potential question is if inflation continues the way it is, obviously we expect uh, Bitcoin and the miners to do extremely well, like you've described what if it plummets? You know, what if all of a sudden we go to, we went from oversupply or uh, sorry, undersupply to oversupply of products like chips and supply and, and everything U-turns. It's like now we're so efficient with shipping that prices are coming down and we're seeing consumer price deflation. Maybe oil comes back down as well, hopefully eventually. Uh, is is that a risk for Bitcoin or does Bitcoin still have staying power even in a deflationary time? I think it does because again, it comes back to like, you know, look, uh, government of El Salvador has to stop adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. I mean, you've yeah. you've got you know initiatives in Cuba and other jurisdictions. You've it, it comes down to you know not everybody's living in the U.S. or Canada with a stable banking system and access to debt and you know a responsible, well, semi-responsible government making smart monetary policy decisions. So it comes down to like whether you want to own the fiat available to you locally or hold your wealth and income in some other fashion. And um, so I, I do think it has its place in the world. Um, this is not the the line of questioning that I thought we'd get into, but, you know, I'm always happy to, happy to, you know, have a educational chat on state of the union here. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we've, we've hit a lot of different things here. We've talked about so your holdings and kind of what you look for, future value of, of Bitcoin, inflation, deflation, uh, even blockchain text. Uh, it, very last one, if you had to pick one alternative other than Bitcoin, what would it be? I'm, uh, I, I would say Cardano. Wow. Over yeah. Ethereum. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't think, awesome. I don't think uh, this shift to proof of stake is, is actually going to come to fruition with Ethereum. And uh, Whoa. I, think it's just, 
yeah, too, too broadly distributed, too much utility at this point. They're not going to get the consensus required to shift. And uh, so you look at your alternatives to Ethereum and new sort of better structured protocols where you don't have 60 or 7 million tokens sitting in the hands of the founders. I think, uh, you know, protocols like Cardano would be my bet over, over Ether. That's big. That's a big statement there. Is Solana carry a chance in that or not as much? Yeah, also interesting. A few hiccups, certainly in September. Um, sure. But, but uh, yeah, the, na the nature of any sort of uh, new protocol, you've got bugs to work out as it scales. And uh, but, but again, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, money to be made investing in supporting uh, alternatives to BTC, that's for sure. But again, Absolutely. you go back to any sort of market weakness. And, uh, you know, BTC, the, the market force, the sort of majority of, of, of the capitalization of all cryptocurrencies globally, it's uh, likely to stand the test of time a little yeah. bit better than some of these old protocols. They'll sell off sense. quite hard. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say I'm surprised because it sounds like, I mean, that's a little bit of a bomb that you, you don't believe basically that Ethereum 2.0 is going to happen. That's, that's a big thing to end it on. I mean, that, I just want to clarify. That's basically what you're saying, right? Well, if, if I'm wrong, just go back and edit this out three or four months from now and we'll just pretend it never happened. But uh, uh, it's big. You know, but, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I appreciate like I am a big fan of alternative perspectives. And I mean, you just gave one that honestly I've never heard of before. That's not saying that your perspective is wrong. I didn't even think about it not happening. So so thank you. You opened my eyes to that. That just that potential. Now I want yeah. to go down that rabbit hole. So thank you. Well, never say never. Certainly in the next twelve months, not going to happen. That's that that my prediction. But but wow. we'll, wow, uh, that's, that's big. Yeah. Okay. How do people get in contact with y'all? Learn more about y'all. Follow you on social and invest in your fund. We're uh, our website's www.veritifunds.com. I'm on uh, Twitter. I actually don't even know my handle. I think it's at Wes Fulford and uh, same with Verdi Funds at Verdi Funds. It's a Twitter website. Um, feel free to reach out. And I definitely look forward to seeing the comments in this uh, broadcast after that that last prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting. Okay. Well, thank you. And then your ticker symbol is uh, uh, R-I-G-Z, like rigs with a Z, Z, right? Correct. Good. So people should... Yeah, be able to I, buy that on, I imagine, Robinhood and all of the various different uh, platforms. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely on Robinhood. We're trading on the NYSE. Yeah, I say Z up here in Canada. You say Z down in the U.S. But, uh, but uh, yeah, actually, sorry, are you from? Are you in Canada or are you in the U.S.? No, no, I'm I'm in the U.S. But yeah, oh, you're, I, yeah. Uh, you know, and your West I, Coast. But yeah, my wife's half Canadian. Father-in-law is 100% Canadian, so I, I I'm familiar. <laughs> at least to some degree. I think it's awesome. So, uh, okay, awesome. Well, this was phenomenal. Mm. Hang out for one moment then, if you don't mind. For everybody yeah. watching, thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you found this helpful, uh, share the video. If you've got a comment on that Ethereum 2.0 bomb, I want to hear about it in the comments down below. Uh, it's very, very fascinating. I'm going to look into this. And uh, thank you so much for being here. We'll see you all in the next one. Thanks. Bye. Thanks,